Mail volumes are declining faster than New Zealand Post or analysts had forecast. However, the demise of postal operators' core business is a global problem. As some operators choose to focus on digital or courier strategies and some consider privatisation, this Radio New Zealand Insight asks what will New Zealand Post look like in the future? I sometimes have some interesting discussions with people who's, who see postal as some kind of just service in an old-fashioned sense, like the hospital or, or something. I don't know that many young people would see it that way if they sort of understand there are th- such things as letters at all, really. And therein lies the problem for New Zealand Post. Its chairman, Sir Michael Cullen, describes the postal operator's core business, letters, as the horse and cart, while the roads are increasingly full of nice motor cars. The chief executive of the country's postal operator, Brian Roach, says there isn't a global solution to the decline in post, so it has both the burden and the opportunity to find an answer that will work for it. The future of the letter is at risk. Birthday cards and Christmas cards do not keep our network alive. I'm Kate Gutzel, and in this insight I look at how New Zealand Post can reconcile its requirement to be a profitable business with its social obligation. And in an increasingly online world, what does the future hold for the country's postal operator? It's a Monday night and the Petoni Mail Processing Centre is sorting out all the mail that was collected this morning. In 2009, New Zealand Post stopped collecting mail on the weekends and as a result, Mondays are the busiest for the processing centres. The site is also set to be closed and sold off as part of a restructuring which will expand the postal operator's processing facilities in Auckland, Manawatu and Christchurch, but discontinue them in Hamilton, Wellington and Dunedin. The restructuring of the New Zealand Post business has made headlines in the last few years and the latest changes have brought with them hundreds of job losses. The shutting down and selling off of assets is part of the organisation's drive to reduce costs. New Zealand Post says it needs to be able to change the way it operates in the future. Earlier this year, it submitted a proposal to the government to change its deed of understanding, which has been in place in its current form since 1998. That agreement with the government requires delivery of standard mail six days a week to 95% of delivery points. Instead, New Zealand Post is proposing a guaranteed minimum delivery of standard mail three days a week to nearly all delivery points, although it's quick to point out that this would not be an immediate outcome if it was to get a change to the deed. Hello, Sir Michael. Good morning, Kate. How are you? Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. In a 2010 report prepared for Treasury, Macquarie Equities Research valued the postal business at more than $1.3 billion. A year later, it revised that downward to $900 million, saying its 2010 valuation assumed New Zealand Post would be able to reduce fixed costs by renegotiating its obligations under the deed. The chairman of New Zealand Post, Sir Michael Cullen, says a change to the deed is vital for the health of the business. I suppose the thing that's got us a little bit worried is that we seem to have seen a bit of a shift in the rate of decline from about 6% a year ago to about 7.5% per annum now. Um, That may step up again because we know the banks and many others are looking to proceed further down the track of communication via the internet rather than communication via the letterbox. So that's faster than what you had been anticipating? Faster than we had previously been planning for. Um, We clearly have to now revisit our forward forecasts and our forward assumptions around the business. It does point up the need for getting 
um, the go-ahead from the government around the deed of understanding to give us the flexibility to respond uh, to what is an ongoing pattern. This is not a pattern where we can reverse it. There is no, there is no leave it at all to get people to move back to writing letters or businesses to use letter mail more than using internet, etc. The government opened New Zealand Post's proposal to change the deed up to public submissions, which closed in March. But not all the postal operators' users are happy with the proposed changes. Neil Fitzgibbon has been a rural delivery contractor for New Zealand Post for the last 36 years. You finished your bike ride, Lynn? Yeah. We're nearly today. That's all you got? Oh, good. Another bill. <laughs> no, it's not a bill. Just, oh, it's just um, advertising. He does a 120-kilometre round trip from Porirua up over the Paikakariki Hill Road six days a week. And Neil Fitzgibbon doesn't just deliver mail. He delivers parcels, medical and vet supplies and knows most of the people he delivers to. He even has arrangements to leave parcels on some of his customers' kitchen tables if they're out. This is the service that Federated Farmers is concerned may be jeopardised if changes to the deed are made. Its president, Bruce Wills, says while the organisation recognises the service may have to be altered, many of its members do not have the benefit of reliable internet connections and costs in remote areas can be high. He says it's hard for some people to comprehend how isolated some rural people are. Windy, dusty metal roads and three, four hours from town, some of them. So it's, it's one of those things where you don't just jump in your car on a Saturday morning to go and pick up the Saturday paper. These things have got to be planned a long way in advance. Even where I live, listen, I'm not, I'm not far from town at all. I'm, uh, where I live, I'm only um, 40 minutes from Napier, but my letterbox is 5.5 kilometres away. So to get to my letterbox, it's an 11-kilometre round trip. And certainly if I was to go to Napier, which I do obviously weekly normally, but it, it's a planned event and you plan a whole day of activities around that because it's, it's quite, a, quite an escapade. So I can absolutely uh, you know, have sympathy for people that, that have become accustomed to that link, that six-day link, whether it's physical mail, whether it's a newspaper, uh, down these very isolated areas. If that was to suddenly go, it, it is a big change. So um, we need to work through that with care and consideration. Bruce Wills says the most isolated of farmers have indicated a willingness to consider paying for services. But those closer to urban areas with better telecommunication services are not happy to pay. Many of the sentiments expressed by members of Federated Farmers are shared by Grey Power's 64,000 members. The president of the organisation, which advocates for those over 50, Roy Reid, says many of the people it represents would struggle to cope with any changes and it estimates about only a quarter of its members are computer literate. There's a lot of people, especially in the older age group, that are frightened to use a computer and as well as not being affordable. They've uh, corresponded with their families and friends using letter mail and uh, they probably don't wish to see any change. How would a reduction in the number of days that mail is delivered during a week, how would that affect your members? Well, it affects some of them, especially with the uh, delivery of accounts which are on a have a short term to, for payment, and we're aware of some people receiving accounts which have been held up in the mail, and by the time they post the cheque back, they're overdue and therefore have uh, lost their discounts. 
New Zealand Post says it's important that its mail business can stand on its own merits. And it says taking funds from its other businesses won't solve the problem. So Michael says New Zealand Post recognises the possible effect changes could have, but considers them unavoidable. But nothing's going to change that basic picture. Um, the number of letters will continue to decline. The number of points of delivery will continue to increase. So unless we prepare to see this as a social service which the government will subsidise dramatically, and the very obvious question the government would ask is, why on earth would we? Um, and the answer to that is, I haven't got the foggiest idea. I can't give a, a reason why you would. Um, we have to keep adapting the business to deal with those changing realities. So, look, if I just show you what you do, if you go into the website for New Zealand Post and log on to the U-Shop site, you can then uh, register as a user, and that will allow you to purchase anything in the United States. New Zealand Post's chief executive, Brian Roach, is explaining one of the digital strategies the company launched six months ago, U-Shop, where people can purchase things online in Britain and the United States from sites which don't deliver to New Zealand. It gives the organisation a new revenue stream, and so will U-Post, a tool which will allow users to organise and pay bills online and will be launched in the next three to four months. Kiwi Bank and TSB Bank recently confirmed they would use RealMe, the digital verification system New Zealand Post developed with the government for their online banking services. But many companies recognised the need to start digitising communications long ago. I could tell you all about the new building, the exciting sustainable design, the um, low energy usage that we're looking for. ASB's General Manager of Technology and Innovation, Russell Jones, is describing the bank's new head office building in Auckland's Wynyard Quarter. The bank is seen as an innovator in the digital banking space. It was the first bank to offer online banking in the country, and it's moved to keep on top of the game. Over the past two years, the bank has made statements for its more than a million customers available online and says the number of statements it supplies digitally is growing by more than 10,000 a month. The bank estimates its overall postage has probably reduced by about 10 to 15 per cent a year for the last couple of years. Russell Jones says increasingly physical statements are looking like historic relics. People can see every transaction in real time. They can see the full transaction history, you don't really have to wait till the end of the month to get the statement to find out what happened on your account. So as people's requirements for statements change, actually providing the statement, because you may need it after the fact, you may need it you know, for your tax at the end of the year, you may need it to check something when you want to go and look at when you bought a particular product for a warranty claim or something. You know, those are the sort of reasons why people would still like a statement representation but the actual sending of a statement, it feels a little outdated. New Zealand Post acknowledges the digital side of the business will never replace the physical, and then it's likely to only be a niche player. So what we're looking at here is our customer service team. These guys are 24 by 7 by 365. They answer about 13,000 emails a week and about 3,500 phone calls, and um, they do a stellar job. The online digital columnist, Mike O'Donnell, who's an e-commerce manager at TradeMe, is showing me around his office. He says New Zealand Post missed the boat to really establish a digital presence. I remember trying to do business with them then, and in fact there was one person that I was trying to do a deal with at NZ Post, and you'd sent him an email, and then he refused to come back to you via email, he'd have his 
PA, print out the email, then write a letter back to you. And so just to get an answer from him took about a week. That was around 04, 05 when I was trying to do a deal with them. But they certainly missed the boat in the 90s, early 2000s. They're having a pretty good run at it now. The other thing, of course, is Localist, their online directory service. Um, so they've got four irons in the fire. They're giving it a good go. Real me, I would give them actually about eight out of ten for improving that. The other three businesses, the jury is still out. How difficult is it for a company that is so old and in, has ingrained in certain ways of thinking to then get on board and go down that digital route? I think it's hugely difficult, uh, hugely challenging, and having digital natives helping lead that journey I think is really important. I think that's something they've lacked historically. They've got a few new, new people in there now. There's been quite a new influx of management in there, and some of the bods in there I think are pretty smart, but it's a big challenge. Mike O'Donnell says the real opportunity for New Zealand Post is actually delivering to the individual households. They, better than anybody else, can deliver stuff the last mile to consumers and to residents around the country, particularly in urban areas. So what they need to do is fill the pipe from there. They've got to feed the strong network that they've got. Some of that will come from private people posting stuff, but really very little of it will come from that. The real stuff here is doing deal with people further up the distribution line, talking to the 3PL companies, talking to the e-commerce players, talking to the subcontractors and the contractors in between, so that when people are purchasing stuff online, it may start with another contractor, but it ends finally being delivered by NZ Post. And that last mile, I think, is probably the jewel in their crown and where they need to feed stuff from, and a lot of that is going to come from e-commerce. Brian Roach says New Zealand Post has invested about 5 to $10 million a year in digital strategies over the last few years and will continue to do so. And he acknowledges moving the organisation into the digital era has its challenges. We also need to get sort of things from concept into the market. And, you know, that's something that we've struggled with. I would admit that. But, look, we think 5 to $10 you know, million a year is a reasonable sum of money to try and discover your future. Why have you struggled with that? I just think, you know, the culture of a business like we've had, particularly in a letters business, which has been here for, you know, a hundred and something years, to sort of try and go from a, you know, a physical to a technological is, is proven to be a challenge for many businesses. So, you know, it's not just about us, but part of solving a problem is to be aware of what the problem is, and, you know, we're very aware of it, so I feel quite confident we can do stuff. How are you going to resolve that then? Well, part of it is actually sort of having a, a group of people who are dedicated to that. So, you know, we've recruited really well in the last two or three years. I think we've got some really good people who can actually sort of think and behave differently. But, you know, it's, it's all about a balance. We've still got this very big physical business. It's still got a very big future. But, you know, we know that digital has to be part of our service offering. New Zealand Post's former chief executive, Alma Toime, went on to be the deputy chair of the Royal Mail in Britain and is now a postal consultant based in London. He points out that investment in digital services is risky because no one knows what the outcome will be and says some global postal operators have concluded it's too late to enter the digital world and are focusing on the parcels business. Just thinking about parcels and the opportunities in e-commerce, um, it really is where all posts are focusing their efforts. But of course, it's a very, delivery of parcels is a very competitive market. And uh, what, what's interesting is to know why are you going to be successful in that particular market? What is it about your, your service offer, your price structure and so on that will make you competitive in the parcels market? And so 
Well, postal companies are all seeing growth in that market, and that growth is because the market is growing. The question I'm asking is whether market share is also growing, because that's the test of your own competitiveness. So if, uh, as I understand it, New Zealand Post will have a very good market share currently in the parcels market, and I think that's a great place to start from. And so if their growth is going to match the market growth or exceed it, then I think it's a very rosy future. It's pretty rare that I get mail these days, but I have received a letter from the Capital and Coast DHB, but it hasn't been sent via New Zealand Post. It's been sent through DX Mail, a rival company owned by the publicly listed Freightways, New Zealand Post's biggest competitor in the courier space. Last year, New Zealand Post purchased back a 50% holding of Express Couriers Limited from DHL, which it sold to them in 2005, making it sole owner of the business. The move also gave it the courier's please arm in Australia. Market share in the courier business in New Zealand is thought to be about evenly split. The managing director of Freightways, Dean Bracewell, says there's growth across both business and household deliveries and he's not concerned about having New Zealand Post as a competitor. We've faced competition from 1964 through until now. We've competed very well against all comers in the marketplace and we would expect to continue to do so. New Zealand Post buying out the balance of the ownership from DHL. They actually sold it to DHL in 2005 and have now bought it back again. So we don't see that as having a uh, big change on the competitive environment as such. We would hope that the government having invested significant dollars in buying back that uh, shareholding from DHL would expect a commercial return on its investment and as such that um, that competitor will look to return that to its shareholder. But by that very nature, the fact that there will be that pressure to return that investment, does that concern you? No, I think it's a great thing. I think that you know all businesses should get a, uh, a commercial return on investment, and uh, it would be great to see that one also that, that particular competitor giving its shareholder, which is the, ultimately the taxpayer, a commercial return on, on its investment. And uh, it's something that we haven't always seen in the past. But the courier business hasn't always been a happy story for New Zealand Post. It wrote off a total of $65 million across the 2010 and 2011 financial years relating to an unsuccessful courier venture in Australia. But New Zealand Post says because that venture was initially aggressively valued, the amount written off was actually much less than $65 million in real terms. But Brian Roach admits that the endeavour wasn't a success. What we've left with now in Australia is a courier business very similar to the one in New Zealand, you know, which we would claim some expertise at. So, you know, our courier business on this side of the Tasman um, is is working well as it is on the other side. So we don't want to be getting to being a freight company. You know, that is not our expertise. It's very much around packages and parcels. And we have to remember that, you know, the red or the letters business that carries a lot of packages and parcels. If you if you talk to the average postie, you know they're, they're carrying bigger items now. So it's not either or, but both networks carry the same sort of things. Those kind of parcels, the sort of things that consumers would be buying online then from overseas. Yeah, and domestically, I think you know the whole um, global trend around e-commerce. Uh, is is a huge opportunity for us, as it is for many others. You know, this is a space we we can't claim to be our own. We, you know, we compete with many others. But you know, the service that we set up, you know, to bring product in from the United States into New Zealand was all about feeding our last mile. You know, the one thing we do is we touch every household. 
New Zealand Post wants to achieve greater cohesion between its mail and courier networks and has been trialling integrated standard and courier deliveries in Tauranga, although Sir Michael says it isn't that economically successful yet. And while parcels is a growth area for the New Zealand Post Group, its biggest growth will come from Kiwi Bank. A credit rating agency has revised the outlook for New Zealand Post and its subsidiary Kiwi Bank to negative. Earlier this year, the credit rating agency Standard & Poor's downgraded the group's outlook, citing the ongoing erosion of the letters business, its onerous obligations under the deed of understanding and the state-owned enterprise's exposure to Kiwi Bank. The local bank's large mortgage portfolio is considered a concern because of the risk of a housing bubble. Any downward move in its rating could make it more expensive for the bank to borrow, which would either eat into its profit or cause the bank to hike fees. The bank makes up about 70% of the group's earnings, and there are concerns that the child is outgrowing the parent. New Zealand Post has invested about $360 million into Kiwi Bank since it started in 2002, and it plans to put in another $100 million over the next three years. Even Sir Michael concedes Kiwi Bank has outgrown the group, and he says the postal side of the business can't keep on feeding the capital-hungry bank for much longer. We have a clear picture of how much longer we can do that, and it's not very long. How long? Maybe a couple of years or so. Beyond that, the bank is going to need to find other forms of raising capital and uh, to move to being more self-sustaining. It is nearly self-sustaining now. It's not that far short of being self-sustaining compared with where it was, say, five years or so ago. Last year, Kiwi Bank bought Gareth Morgan Investments, giving it a Kiwi Saver arm. It also moved into home insurance and is trying to expand its business banking, as well as possibly getting into foreign exchange trading. But all that takes money. A business commentator, Brian Gaynor, says if Kiwi Bank really wants to take on the big Australian banks, it probably needs more capital. He says one way to get that would be a partial privatisation of the bank and there would be investor appetite for it. If you've got a parent company that's in trouble, you're always therefore going to have... Uh problems getting capital. I mean, one of the ways to do it would be that it was 20% uh, or 30% could be sold off to another party. It could be done, dare I suggest, that 20 or 30% be sold to the public, although there'd be a lot of opposition to that. Uh, but you would, you would reduce the capital constraint problems if another shareholder took up a another portion. And of course, the way it could happen was that the new shareholder, our shareholders, could contribute to new capital so that therefore the extra 20 or 30% owned by outside shareholders was new capital put into the company rather than a new shareholder buying 20 or 30% off NZ Post. The government has previously said a privatisation of Kiwi Bank is off the table. Alma Toime, who oversaw the introduction of Kiwi Bank, says it was a diversification strategy for the Post Group which has worked. And he says the privatisation of postal banks has happened before in New Zealand and around the world. If you were to follow the logical conclusion and you saw that the bank all of a sudden became the dominant player in the partnership, uh, then you'd have to think about the structure of the group. When you set it up, did you ever think that there may be a possibility that it would outgrow New Zealand Post and it may need to be privatised? Uh, yes, I certainly uh, did think about that. Um, and I saw it as being something as it proved to be in the uh, longer term future. So it wasn't um, anything to that. It wasn't anything that needed a different type of decision making at the time. 
the decision making at the time, once the go-ahead for the bank was was given, was to make the bank successful and relevant to the people of New Zealand to, and to its customers. And I think it's achieved that very well. Uh, but you couldn't ha help thinking, simply because of the cycle of events in New Zealand and in the world about uh, the postal bank, you couldn't help thinking that possibly um, that would become a separate entity in its own right. But Sir Michael says there's an alternative for providing the bank with more capital. Well, the government has clearly said that Kiwi Bank is not on the blocks of privatisation, full or partial. Even in the context, say, of a shareholding from another government-owned entity. But is that a wise move? I think it is a wise move to retain 100% ownership within the wider Crown network because when the idea was floated two years or so back of partial privatisation, there was an immediate reaction from many of the bank's customers. People joined Kiwi Bank because it is 100% New Zealand owned by the government and therefore can't be owned by anybody else. I mean, people know that this is owned by the New Zealand government, therefore they, the public, 100% own Post and 100% own Kiwi Bank. The only thing that I would perhaps hope is that at some point there could be a bit more flexibility around other Crown organisations being able to invest in Kiwi Bank. Like someone like the Superfund, for example? Yes. yes, because there is a synergy between the Superfund and Kiwi Bank in that the Superfund not, does not have a huge interest in short term profit. It has a large interest in long-term wealth acquisition and profit maximisation over the long term, not the short term, which meets Kiwi Bank's capital needs rather well, actually. I mean, it has significant potential for long-term growth, but clearly the government itself is capital constrained at the moment, and um, not unnaturally they have said that they can't put in additional capital, at least for the foreseeable future. But the Massey University banking academic David Tripe says the New Zealand Post and Kiwi Bank businesses are so enmeshed that any separation would be difficult. We seem to be gradually in a situation where the network is switching from being a New Zealand Post network with Kiwi Bank services provided to being a Kiwi Bank network with NZ Post services provided. Now, there is a rate of payment made from Kiwi Bank to NZ Post for services provided. That's been established by boards which are not in an essence independent of each other. There would be a real challenge in the context of privatisation in terms of whether NZ Post would continue, what has been announced where NZ Post is effectively being supported by Kiwi Bank, and whether new owners of Kiwi Bank would want to support NZ Post in that way. So privatisation is a thorny problem and it's interesting to see that it seems to have disappeared off the, the political agenda over the last two to three years. One thing is for certain, New Zealand Post sees Kiwi Bank in its future and it also sees its packages and parcels business being a core part of that. And it wants to see more self-service kiosks in its retail shops and says in time its postal shops, like this one on Featherston Street in Wellington, which has a Kiwi Bank ATM on its shop front and dual branding, will come to be dominated by the bank and its services. Kiwi Bank is yet to return a dividend and is not expected to do so for another five or six years. While New Zealand Post paid a dividend of $5 million last year and it's targeting to continue delivering a minimum dividend return of that amount, but that's dependent on what happens in its business. I'm Kate Gudsell and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight.
I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Jeremy Veal.